thanks. Um, good to be here. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having me again. Uh, how many years has this been, babe? Nine years. Um, and everyone is really special, but I think, uh, I don't know, the ones that, like two years ago, I just spoke to the, st the staff. Do you remember that? A couple years ago, it was the COVID years. And as we drove, we drove up, and uh, when we were when we were coming in around the van, we saw the staff sitting on the slab of the Miracle Building, and uh, it was really one of the most special. Mo that was one of the most special moments I will ever remember coming to Hiawatha, and seeing that, and having no idea what Hiawatha was going to look like, and now with all this happening, and just just having this feeling that nothing can stop what God has put in place, and it's just beautiful to be a part of something like that, always has been. So I'm just so honored to be here and, and talking with you and sharing with you and maybe helping you see through some things. I know you're tired. Can I just say that? I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. You are. You're tired, you're exhausted, and, you, and uh, you've been through a lot. Been a, it's been a long time. Uh, you've, it's one of those times where you've looked, ba you've looked back over the year, this summer, and you're like, it was great. It was awesome. A lot of lives were changed. Even my heart was changed. Um, but I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> right? I'm done. I'm ready to go. Like, I, 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 and a part of me wants to stay, but a part of me is ready just to go. Because you're tired, and you're tired emotionally, you're tired spiritually, you're tired physically. And so here's what I want to do for the, the closing days, okay? I, I, I want to be your rest. I want you to rest. I don't want to give you things where you're going like, to feel like you're burdened even more. I want you to feel rest. I want you to feel rest emotionally. I want you to feel rest spiritually. I want you to feel rest mentally, even physically. I want you to be at rest. So that's, that's what these next few days are going to be. Uh, hopefully it's a time where you can feel, okay, I'm rejuvenated and rested, but I've also learned how to look more like Jesus. Because I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be, um, well, basically doing the same thing for a long time and being around the same people for a really, really long time and just being done. Like, I'm, you're just done. Like, you can look back and say, I'm glad I did it, and it was really awesome, and I will probably do it again next year, but I am, I'm done right now. I, haven't, I don't think I've ever told anybody this story, at least in a, in a group setting before. This was the first time, because I thought about this on the way here, and I thought how you might be feeling right now. I was, uh, I was in my mid-20s. I was 23, 24 years old. And for some of you who don't know that I was an actor before I was a pastor. And uh, one of the first acting gigs that I ever got was in Seattle. And I joined this traveling acting, Christian traveling group uh, called Taproot Theater. And it was a faith-based group. And they would travel up and down the West Coast. And we do shows for, like, camps and elementary schools. And we do those like anti-bullying or, you know, anti-violence kind of show, you know, say no to drugs, those kind of shows, you know. And we would come into the auditorium. You've been to those. You probably remember those when you were in elementary school. We were those actors. And we would come in. I remember we would do, you know, shows like Biff, Bang, Kapow, like those kind of shows. Well, we had, this is the first year I was ever in it. And we had, um, we were so excited uh, when we started off. 
we're in a van and we got a trailer and we're traveling up and down the West Coast. But you're doing that for months on end. You're, you're the same five people in the same van doing the same shows at the same hotel, basically hotel room after hotel room after hotel. You, you're not getting away from each other. And at first, it's awesome and it's wonderful and it's great and you, oh, it's, you know, it's exhilarating. But at the end, you are done. I remember I had a... Uh, one of my best friends, his name was Jason, Jason Levergood. When he was, it was his first year too, and we, we hit it off like right away. Like we were like best friends. And uh, we were inseparable. By the end, we were done with each other. Like our emotions were like bubbling to the surface. We were trying to hold it down. Like everything that the other person did just was on our last Nerve. I remember um, it was one of our last shows. We were almost done with our tour. It was like a four or five month tour. It was ridiculous. I remember we got to the, one of the last shows and we were literally doing the show Biff Bang Kapowie. And uh, it was an anti bullying, anti violence show, you know, teaching kids tools in which they can, you know, learn how to not be violent and work their way through problems and have solutions, things like that. Or I remember it was the last show and we had this, this screen that was, we, we put, you have to put up your own screen. And uh, right before, uh, as the kids were coming in, what we would do, we were all dressed in our costumes and everything like that, and we would, um, we, we would gather in a circle around the screen. So like, let's say you're the audience, you're the kids coming in, and we're the actors, and there's the screen right there, so you can't see, it's, it's kind of a short, and we would gather around, and we would pray before we would, you know, we would go out and we'd do that performance. And as, right before we're going to pray, you know, remember, tensions are high, we've been with each other for months on end, we're pretty much done with this whole tour. Um, we're about to pray, and Jason, my buddy, he says something about me, which is pretty sarcastic, and everybody starts to laugh, and usually I would take it pretty lightheartedly, but this time, for some reason, I really took it to heart, and I went over to his lunch bag, because he, he, he packed his lunch every day. He meticulously packed his lunch every day. He did exactly the same thing. And I took his lunch bag, his brown lunch bag, and I took it, and I, in front of everybody, I just took it, and I squished the whole bag until it was like nothing. And I thought people might laugh at that. I thought that might be funny. Everybody looked at me like I had done the worst possible thing you could possibly do. And Jason looked at me, and he looked at me for a second, and all of a sudden, he lunges at me. And here he's and he's swinging away at me on the ground as I'm swinging at him on the ground. And people are trying to drag each other off. We're trying to pull each other off of each other. This is as kids are coming in for an anti-bullying, anti-violence show. We're on the ground throwing punches at one another as everybody's trying to pull us off. I know what it's like to be done. Now listen, I don't, I'm not saying that that's how you feel about one another. What I am saying is that your emotions are kind of hanging by a thread right now because you're just tired. I want to talk today a little bit about, actually I'll just keep this, I want to talk today a little bit uh, about, uh, in these coming days, about emotions. What goes on in here, in our hearts. And you're thinking, emotions, that's a weird thing for Scott to talk about. It's because we don't talk about emotions in church settings very often. We don't talk about this stuff. Matter of fact, what, instead of allowing us to express our emotions, usually in, in church settings and spiritual settings, we're, we're told to, in some ways, suppress our emotions. 
like our emotions are out to get us, like our emotions are the bad guys. And as long as we can just keep those down and suppress those emotions, then we're going to be spiritually healthy. I think it's the exact opposite. I think, the, I think our, our, our spiritual immaturity and our spiritual unhealthiness comes from a lack of being able to express the emotions that are going on in our hearts, what's actually going on in here. Because there's a lot happening right now. There's a lot. And if we don't know how to express this, if we don't know what to do with this, if we don't know how to validate this, if we don't know how to integrate this, if we don't know what to do with all of this stuff that we got, you got a lot of stuff going on in you right now. A lot. Stuff you don't even realize. If you don't know how to navigate it and do something with it, you're always going to be spiritually unhealthy. I truly believe that. I truly believe that. I believe our spiritual health and our emotional health are connected. They're connected. I want to talk about our emotional health. We never talk about that. And I want you to walk away. I want you to walk away, um, not only from tonight, but I want you to walk, when you go back home, emotionally healthy so that you can be spiritually healthy. You cannot be spiritually healthy. And we're going to talk about this, but you can't be spiritually healthy unless you're also emotionally healthy. And yet we never talk about emotional health. And that's why we never feel we're spiritually healthy. All right? So that's what I, I want to talk a little bit about that. I, wanna I like talking about things to you that I wouldn't normally talk to any other group about because I think you'll get it. About seven years ago, uh, my family went uh, to go see a movie, went to go see a movie together. And um, it was uh, this movie right here, Inside Out. Anybody seen this movie? Yeah? Some of you? That's good. It wasn't like an underground indie film. It was like pretty big. Disney Pixar. <laughs> They're going to do well. So, uh, yeah, Inside Out. And uh, I wasn't really uh, expecting much uh, from this movie. I remember going in and thinking, oh, it's a movie about feelings, and I'm just not, not going to be into it. But my family's going, so it probably will go. And I was actually really impressed. Um... The movie is about, if you're not familiar with the movie, it's about an 11-year-old girl by the name of Riley. And uh, we meet Riley, and we also uh, meet her trauma because Riley actually, we, we see that Riley is going through the trauma of being relocated from her family from Minnesota to California. And all the trauma and the changes for a little girl, 11-year-old girl that has to go through all of that. And so in the process of meeting Riley, we also uh, meet her five emotions. And as you can see by the screen right now and in Inside Out, uh, those emotions are fear, right? And then there's anger, there's frustration, there's sadness, and of course, there is joy. Um, our, our family actually liked this movie so much uh, that a couple years ago, we went as this for Halloween. Can we show that picture if we still have? Yes, there it is. <laughs> I still crack up at that photo. Um, and it, uh, Molly's even, our dog is even in that picture, if you can see. Um, she went as the elephant. Was it Bing Bong? Bing Bong? Yeah, Bing Bong. She went as. Now, uh, you can take that down and just go to uh, the, the picture before if you want. I know Emma's a little embarrassed by that. Um, so... So it was, it, was, it was a really good movie. And you know what? I was very entertaining, and I, I really liked it. And, of course, you know, the graphics were incredible. I mean, it's Pixar, and it's, you know, Disney and everything like that. But the true brilliance of this movie was the message. 
And the message was, if you're going to live, if you, you want to live a full life, I mean, a really full, healthy life, the kind of life that you were meant to live, that you were created to live, then you have to learn to validate, integrate, and navigate your emotions. If you're going to if you want to live the life that you want to live, the full life, the life, the healthy life, the life that you were born to live, that you have to learn to validate, to integrate, and to navigate the emotions. That there isn't one emotion that's more important than any other emotion, and that every emotion has a role to play in your life. And I remember walking out of that, wow, that's, that's, that's an amazing message. I don't think that's a message that we hear very often. As a matter of fact, I thought, where do I not hear that message? And I, I never, I rarely hear that message from the church. I never hear, I rarely hear that message from the pulpit. I rarely hear of a pastor saying, you know what, it's all, it's about your emotions. And it's important to validate and integrate the emotions in your life so that you can have the fullness of life that we're all striving for. And then I thought about it on my way home. I thought, well, why don't we do that? When we look at the Gospels, we see Jesus all over the place when it comes to, God, or when it comes to emotions, don't we? I and mean, when you read the Gospels, you read the stories of Jesus, maybe he was all over the map when it comes to emotion, expressing his emotions. Remember when Jesus expressed anger? Remember when he turned over the tables in the temple because they were cheating people? And he was so upset. This place was supposed to be a place for prayer. It was a place to cheat people out of their money. And he turned over the table and showed anger. Or how about the time when Jesus expressed sadness? Remember when his best friend Lazarus dies? And he hears about it and he goes to the tomb. And before he even gets to the tomb, his knees buckle. He can't even get there and he falls to the ground. And he begins to weep uncontrollably. Or anguish. Remember when Jesus in the Garden of Eden? Or not the Garden of Eden. That was way before. But remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he's just about to be arrested. And he knows he's going to go to the cross. And remember he was so filled with anguish. And so filled with fear that the drops of blood come off of his forehead. Or how about Jesus' frustration with the the Religious leaders and the hypocrisy, or even his disciples, his frustration. And of course, his joy, his, his complete joy when we follow him. So we can see, we can see how important it is, how extremely important it is for us to have emotions. Because when we, when we express our emotions in the right way, we look like Jesus. When we're able to express our emotions in a healthy way, when we navigate it, we validate it, we integrate it, we express it, we look more like Jesus. Because Jesus is expressing emotions all over the place. And yet, what we try to do is say, no, 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 I want you to suppress that emotion. I want you to ignore that emotion. That emotion is out to get you. That emotion is out to ruin your life. And you know what? It can some of our greatest regrets is because our emotions got the best of us. But there is a healthy way to navigate our emotions so that we can look more like Jesus. Our emotional health 
and our spiritual health are inseparable. I believe it is impossible, impossible to be spiritually healthy, to be spiritually healthy and emotionally unhealthy. Matter of fact, uh, Sarah, can we put up that, that quote? I think it might be the next one. It says, to the degree to which we integrate and navigate the emotions of our lives will determine the degree to which we live like Jesus. If you want to write that down, write it down even if you don't believe it. Because I, I want you to think about it. The degree to which we integrate and navigate the emotions of our lives. We all have them. We all have emotions. We all have five of them and a million more. The way the emotions are will determine the degree to which we live like Jesus. And the reason why I can say that is because how do we gauge our spiritual life? Is it by how many Bible verses we know? Is it by how many praise and worship songs we're familiar with? Is it how, how, how often we go to church? No, we gauge our spiritual life by how our heart looks more like Jesus. And the way that our heart looks more like Jesus is if we navigate, navigate all those emotions that are happening inside of us. But we've never learned it. And so many times that's why we feel spiritually unhealthy. Because we never learned how to be emotionally healthy. So here's what I want to do for the next couple sessions. This session and the next couple sessions. I want to ask the question, how do we cultivate an emotionally healthy life? How do we do that? If we can't have a spiritually healthy life without having an emotionally healthy life, it is important for us to know how do we have an emotionally healthy life. What do I do with all this stuff that's happening? And there's stuff going on in you right now that you go to bed at night and you're like, what was that? You sit in bed at night when nobody is there and you're like, why am I going through this right now? Why can't I control this right now? Why is every day I say I'm going to get better at this and I can't? Why did I explode at that person that I didn't need to explode at? Why am I all of a sudden bursting out in tears right now? What's happening underneath the surface? Because until we get that, we'll never really have a, the kind of relationship that we want with God. And that's really important. So I wanted to talk about that. And to do that, what we're going to do is, 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 at least tonight, I want to take us to a book in the Bible that is filled with emotions. Probably the most emotional book in the Bible. Well, the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is everywhere. Emotions are everywhere in the book of Psalms. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, actually. Matter of fact, in the book of Psalms, I mean, if, if you're turning to Psalms, turn to Psalm 22, because that's where we're going to go next. Psalms is essentially um, God's permission to us to be human. I'm going to say it again. Psalms is God's permission to you and me to be human. To be a human being, to have emotion, to have feelings, to express it, even if it's crazy. Even if it's crazy, even if it's out of the box, even if you say, you know what, I shouldn't even be saying this right now. You look at Psalms, you're like, oh, I can say anything I want. Because Psalms, which were written mostly by King David before he was king as well, he is expressing so many emotions, anger, sadness, fear, frustration, sometimes hate. 
And we have to know that it's okay. God's fine with this. God is fine with us expressing these emotions in our lives. So that's what, that's what Psalms is. And I, I want to look at one passage in the book of Psalms, Psalms 22. I do want to say this before I go there, though. Just because it's recorded, and this is for the whole Bible, just because it's recorded in the Bible doesn't mean God approves of it. Right? So just because somebody says something in the Bible, this is how they're feeling, doesn't mean it's God saying, that's what you should do now. Right? That's really important. Because if you're going to go back, maybe you're going to go back tonight and you're going to read, you know, the Psalms. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to read the Psalms. Now Scott talked about it. Let me read it. You're going to come across some crazy things. You're going to come across David say, I, I want their children's children's children dead and crushed. And, and you may think that about somebody. But it, it isn't, God doesn't give us permission to go and, and live that out. God says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you space here. I'm going to give you space for your emotions. But how do we know? How do we know? How do we know whether God approves it or not? Well, we look at Jesus. Right? Jesus is the lens through which we look at everything. If you would say Jesus wouldn't approve, then no. Right? And, and that's just another topic, but this is important. Jesus is the interpretive lens for everything. Everything. Not just the Bible, politics, socially. It's, he is the interpretive lens for everything. We see life through the lens of Jesus. You have to. We're Christians, right? So I want to go to Psalm 22 uh, because here it just seems like it's just so drastic. And I want to look at three emotions that is in Psalm 22, only two verses we're really looking at, two verses, verses 1 through 2. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 2. And we're going to see David hold three emotions simultaneously in tension with one another. Uh, the first one is sadness. I think I have a list here. Do I have the list? Sadness? Maybe not. Yes, anger and fear. Sadness, anger, and fear. What I love about this is that they're not one of these that we haven't felt. We felt all of these. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're feeling one of those right now. You're feeling sadness, anger, or fear. Maybe you're in a perfect storm season where you got all of those emotions going on because they're related. All these are related. And if you feel one, a lot of times you feel all of them. Sadness, anger, and fear. So let me... Let's read the first part. I'm gonna, we're gonna, I think it's going to go up on the screen. I want to read it, and then I want to talk about the different aspects of this. And it won't be long. This will be quick. We're going to have some time with God, but I think it's going to be an important night where we're going to deal. We're going to deal with some of the emotions that we're, because I'm guessing that throughout this week, you haven't had time to deal with what's actually going on in here. You've had time to deal with what other kids have going on in here. But my guess is you haven't had a time to sit and think, what's, what's happening in my heart? What's keeping me from God? So this time is for you. All right? 
So it says this, Psalm 22, 1 through 2, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of my anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Do you sense the deep sorrow, grief, sadness? Maybe you've been there. Maybe that's your story. You've been there. You've said at night, my God, my God, where are you? You said you'd be with me, but I don't feel you. I feel like you've abandoned me. In the time when I needed you the most, I don't sense your presence right now. God, where are you? Maybe you've felt that. I've felt that. It's, it's one of the most lonely places. It's the most sorrowful places when you feel like you've lost the presence of God. I, I call it the sorrow of the soul. And it's, I don't, it's a place I don't wish for anyone, but it's also a place where I feel like God can meet you the most. In the sorrow of the soul. When you have nothing left and you wonder even if God is there. That's where he is. Is in the sorrow of the soul. We have a hard time expressing sadness, don't we? Because I, I think maybe for some of us, and not for all of you, but I think for some of us, maybe you grew up in a family where, where expressing your sadness was seen as a weakness. And maybe, maybe you know, I'm gender bias or whatever, but I think also it happens, I think this really happens with guys a lot. I, th I think in families, and maybe it's not as much as it used to be, but I'm saying as, expressing sadness is often seen as, as a weakness. So we grow up in families where to try to express your sadness or your grief or your sorrow or your disappointment is seen as, as a weakness. I mean, think about it when you're, maybe you're a little and you're, you're riding your bike and your parent, your guide, and you're helping along, and you're doing well, and you're riding down the road, and you fall off your bike, and you, you fall on the ground, and you skin your knee, and you're bleeding, and you, you shards of, you know, cement sticking to your knee, and you look at it, and all of a sudden, you're about to cry, and, and who comes up, your mom, or your dad, or your parent, or your guardian, whatever comes up, and they say, you're okay. It's not a question. It's not, are you okay? It's, you're okay. You're okay. Buck up. Wipe it off. Get back on that bike. You're okay. You're okay. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't feel okay. I got broken pieces of concrete stuck to my skin. I'm bleeding from my elbow and my head. I don't feel okay. How confusing that must be for a kid. See a parent who's saying, you're okay. They must know, but I don't feel okay. And we learn at a very early age, maybe not that example, but we learn from a very early age what it means to suppress our sadness. Because that means weakness. And we see one of the strongest people, the strongest person that will ever wear, Jesus. 
expressing extreme sadness, overwhelming sadness and grief and sorrow as he cried for his friend Lazarus. So sadness, expressing our sadness, is, it's not a weakness. Apparently, it's one of the ways that we're anchored towards God. But it's not, it's not just our family setting. It's our church setting is too. Because there's this, there's this sense in our church setting. I don't know if you've catch, caught this or not. But there's this sense, it's like whether, it's, whether it's meant to be or not, but what is often taught is that, huh, is that your sadness means that you lack some kind of faith. That if you're sad, that if you're grieving, you're filled with sorrow, if you're disappointed in something, it means that you have a lack of faith, that you don't trust God. If you're not somehow walking around with full of joy all the time, there's something wrong with your faith. And so often we hear these, we hear these words like rejoice in the Lord always, right? Everybody's heard that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And that's a great verse. forget that Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, the truth is we can only experience the comfort of our God when we validate, integrate, and express our sadness. According to Jesus, comfort comes when we're honest with our sadness when we're honest with our disappointment, when we're honest when things have not gone the way that we wanted them to go. And we say, God, here I am. My grief and all. My disappointment and all. And God comes and comforts us. You want to feel the comfort of God? Validate your sadness. Matter of fact, God wants you to do it. Here's what we're going to do. There are two questions and one statement I want us to go through. And mirror here, right here. What is, the, what is the issue beneath my sadness? What might God be saying in my sadness? And then I want us to pray for our sadness. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask Sarah to play just a little bit of music. Because what did I say? I... I I don't want us to walk away here without dealing with some of this. And I'm going to ask Sarah to play a little bit of music underneath. And I want to ask these two questions. What is the issue? So first of all, if maybe you're not, maybe there's nothing you're sad about right now. And that's fine. That's cool. That's, that's good. But maybe you, there is. And I want you to deal. What is, what is the grief that you're going through right now? Is it a loss? Is something not the way that you were hoping it would be? Maybe it was a friendship. Maybe whatever it is. Is something not the way you want it to be? What is it? And what is the issue beneath it? Because there's something happening underneath. There's a reason why you're grieving. What's the reason for that? And then the actual question, what might God be saying? Because God is always speaking. What's he saying through that sadness and that grief and that hurt and that sorrow and this disappointment? What's he saying there? What's he speaking to you about? And the last thing is, I want you to pray for it. So, Sarah, could you, can you play that music? 
And I just want us to think about that. I just want to think about these issues. What is the issue beneath my sin? And we're only going to spend a couple minutes here. And so I want you to take this back with you too. And deal with it in the time that you need to deal with it. What is the issue beneath my sadness? What's going on? What's underneath it? And then what's God saying to you in it? He's always speaking. What's he saying in that sadness? What is he saying to you? And then I want you to give it to him. Just give it to him. Just give him your grief. He wants it. He understands it. He wants to take it. And most of all, he wants to comfort you in it. So let's just take some time. Spend some time with God. is not even remotely enough time to do this. Because of the time we have, and I just have a couple more things to say. I want us, do not let this go. Spend some time with this. Ask these two questions and then give it to God. If you're going through a grief or a sorrow or a pain or a loss or a disappointment in your life right now, deal with that. Allow God to deal with it with you. Okay. Thank you, Sam. So let's read that. So let's read the psalm again. And this time I want to read it. And I want you to think anger. So it says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of my anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer by night, and I find no rest. There is an anger underneath this. Yeah, there is a sadness, there is a grief, there is a pain, there is a disappointment, but there is a frustration, and there is an anger, and there's an anger at God. It's, it's directed towards God. Now, we're often told we're not supposed to do that. And yet David feels like he has permission 
to be human. You know, I don't know if you, how you grew up, but often growing up in families, the anger is something that's just not tolerated. The expression of anger. It's just not something that is tolerated. Maybe you remember walking into your house after school and you had a really bad day and as you walk in, you slam the door and your mom or dad says, so how was your day? And you're like, I don't want to talk about it, right? It was a really bad, and you stomp up the stairs, want to hit every one of them. Everybody knows that you're not happy. And you go into your room, and you slam the door. And what does the person do? Does the person walk upstairs and say, is everything okay? No, the person's like, we don't slam doors in this house. You know that's the rule. And all of a sudden, one anger is to another anger. Because anger is not accepted. We don't know how to express our anger. We're not allowed to express our anger. And because we're not allowed to express our anger, we don't even know what to do with it. And yet there it is. And yet when we look in the Gospels, we see Jesus expressing his anger. So, uh, so apparently with Jesus, we can express it in a very healthy way. That it's okay to express anger. Jesus expresses anger in a way that he doesn't sin in the process. In Ephesians 4, it says, uh, in your anger, do not sin. So, so the anger is not the bad part. The anger is not the troubling part. It's what happens in the anger. is when we allow it to sink in when we allow it to be a part of us, when we allow it to take control of our lives and get the best of us. And some of our greatest regrets in life happen when we express our anger in an unhealthy way. I won't go into details, but a couple weeks ago, I expressed my anger in my family in a very unhealthy way. And even though I apologized, I asked forgiveness, and I've been forgiven, it will be a moment I regret. It will be a moment that I remember for the rest of my life. It is our anger when it controls us. When it bubbles up to the surface and we don't validate it. And we don't express it in a healthy way. That it destroys things. But like I said, anger in itself isn't the problem. It's when it comes out in the wrong way. And God is saying, listen, I want you to give me your anger. Because how do we express our anger in a healthy way? 
the best way to express our anger in a healthy way is to give it to God. Even if it's about him. This is about him. David is angry at God. He can take it. He can take it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get angry with God, and the way I get angry with God is I get in a car, and I drive, and I just get angry with God. Or I'll get out of the house, and I'll walk, and I'll just be angry with God. God, you're not living up to, <laughs> it's so stupid, but God, you're not living up to the expectations I want you to live up to. But it's okay. He'll take it, and he'll wrap his arms around and say, I love you. I love you. It's okay. I want us to deal with our anger. What are you angry about? What are you angry about right now? What's not going the way you want it to go? What are the prayers that you've been calling to God over and over again and it doesn't feel like it's being answered? What have you lost that's brought anger? Where is that pain from deep in the gut? Where is that? And maybe you're not angry right now. Maybe there's a time when you're angry, but you're not right now. And that's okay. That's good. But for those of you who are, there's anger. There's something underneath the surface. Maybe it's even with God. We should deal with it. We should deal with it. So let's deal with it. Let's spend those three questions. Two questions and a statement. What is the issue beneath my anger? First of all, what are you angry about? And what's underneath that? There's always some, there's something underneath it. What is it? Why are you angry? And then what, sometimes I notice there's layers. There's something underneath that. But what's the core? What's the reason? And then the second thing is, what might God be saying in that anger? God's always speaking. He wants to say something even in your anger towards him. What's he saying? And the next one is just pray it. Just give him your anger. Just give it. Give it to him. Let him have it. Maybe you're not ready to let him have it here because you need to, you need to yell. Maybe you need to express that anger out, out loud, and this may not be for you the right place to do that. But if that's you, you need to find a time and a place to be angry with God. It is okay. He can take it. And he'll love you through it. I promise you. There's nothing that you could say to him that he would love you less. Nothing. Nothing. All right? So let's, I'm going to ask Sarah to play some music and let's take our anger to God.
Okay, so the last one. Let's read Psalm 22, 1 through 2 again. It says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no refuge. I'm not sure if you can feel it, but there's also a sense of fear. Fear, worry, anxiety, trepidation, fear. I don't know how many of you tonight are going through fear. Maybe you're fearful of what's going to happen next in your life. You're fearful what's going to be going on when you're out of here. But this is a fear. Not long ago, I had a, uh, I was at the hospital uh, with a, a woman that I knew. She had just got news from her doctors that she had a, uh, an aggressive form of cancer that was going to be inoperable. And she'd asked if I'd come to the hospital and talk with her and pray with her. So I did. And she says, uh, she, was, she expressed to me and was uh, admitted to me that she had felt a lot of fear in this. And that she was very scared. And I remember saying to her, something to the effect of, well, that, that's probably the most natural response that you could ever give. And I remember looking at me with this strange look as if that was a response that she didn't expect. You see, because she, she believed that if you had fear, it meant that was the enemy of faith. And if you had fear, then you couldn't please God because the only way to please God was through faith. And if fear is the enemy of faith, then you can't be pleasing God. And she said to me, she said, so you're saying that my fear isn't a sign that I don't have faith. And I said, no, your, your fear is a pretty good sign that you're human. And that God gives us permission to be human. I know you're told you're not supposed to fear. You're told that over and over again. And I get it. Fear paralyzes us. It keeps us from living the life that God calls us to. I mean, I get it. But it doesn't mean you don't have faith. It means you're human. God gives you permission to be that way. It means you're human. We hear it all the time, do not fear. And I, like I said, I get it. I've done maybe a hundred messages on fear. But we hear it so much that we hear these, even these like antidotes, like do not fear, because the Bible says do not fear 365 times. Did you ever hear that? 
365 times every day of the year. That's, I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble. That's not true. Like fear isn't, that's not true. That's, that's a false statement. Do not fear is probably like 150 times. And if, even if you like put everything together, it might be kind of do not fear. And I, I'm not saying that anybody who said this is, I, I've said this in the past too until I looked it up. It's like probably at the most 275, maybe 300, but not even anywhere near 365. And I get the reason why we do that. We get the reason why. It's because we want everybody to know that every day you just can, don't have to fear. But what happens is, is that it, 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 it feels like God is scolding us. Do not fear. Quit your fearing. Why are you fearing again? Well, you're fearing again today. Stop fearing. When that's not what fear was all about. That's not what God is saying because what we forget is what happens after he says, do not fear. After God says, do not fear, it's always because I am with you. Do not fear. I'm with you. So our fear isn't a scolding from God. Isn't it don't fear? Stop fearing. Why do you keep fearing? Fear is supposed to lead us closer to God. To remind us that God is near. That God has his arms around us. That God is close. That he's as close as our very breath. That's what fear is. As soon as we have fear, we're supposed to remind it that God is there. Do not fear. For God is near. Maybe you're going through a time of fear right now. And you're worried that your fear is the enemy of your faith. But fear is actually... Fear is actually a point that would lead you closer to the arms of God. God says, do not fear, for I am already with you. How many of you need to hear those words? Not just do not fear, but I am already here. I'm already here. So let's look at those statements again, those questions in that statement. It says this. What is the issue beneath my fear? What might God be saying in my fear? And then just pray. Give God your fear. What are you fearing today? What are you worried about today? What are you anxious about today? What's filling your heart with trepidation tonight? Let's give it to God. He can take it. Let's give it to Him. Sarah, let's play that, please. Thank you.
you know, we only went through the first two verses of Psalm 22. And some of you may have thought, wait a minute, I've heard those words before. And you'd be right, because those are the words of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my cries? I call out day and night, and you aren't there. These are the words of Jesus from the book of Psalms. Guys, listen to me. If Jesus can express these emotions to God, so can we. Jesus is our example of what it looks like to be anchored to God's love. And if he can express it, not only can we express it, we should express it. So no matter what you're going through, sadness, anger, fear, all of it. That's what Jesus was going through. And you can give it to God. He will take it. He will love you in it. You're supposed to give it to Him. Not just you can. You're supposed to. So give it to Him. I do want to let you know, and I'm finishing up here, I do want to let you know that it doesn't end with fear. It doesn't end with anguish. It doesn't end with sorrow. It actually ends with hope. And some say that we only have the first part of Jesus speaking these words. Some say that Jesus spoke the whole psalm. And so I want to read the rest of the psalm, at least the, the back portion of it. And it says this, Yet I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Reveal him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and will be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over all the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All will go down to the dust and will kneel before him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn that he has done it. There is hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what anguish, no matter what fear, no matter what sadness, no matter what you're giving to God, it may feel like it's all over right now, but it's not. There is hope. There is hope, there is hope, there is hope. Hang on to God's hope, even in all of it. Hang on to his hope in all of it. Because he loves you.
Father, I thank you for this time. Mm. Father, there's a lot of stuff going on in our hearts right now. Stuff we know about and stuff we don't. Stuff we understand and stuff we can't. Stuff we can control and stuff we can't. Stuff we try to but it keeps coming as well. And we just had this feeling that it's somehow keeping us from a true relationship with you. So I pray, God, for myself and then all of us here that we, that we come to you with all the stuff that's in our heart and that we give it to you and that we deal with it in the most honest, sincere way we can. And we understand that whatever we give to you, you will take and you will love us. Because there is hope. There's hope for all of us. Thank you for being a God who takes us. And loves us through it all. In your name we pray. Amen.